0: okay people coming up on just for sport i give props to etan thomas he's a former nba player an author and a motivational speaker with a radio show called the collision and a podcast on fly tv called the rematch we talk about a variety of topics from his time playing with michael jordan for jordan's real last dance with the washington wizards how he became great friends with his hated rival and then teammate christian leitner getting to know the real Gilbert Arenas, his thoughts on the bubble in the playoffs and betting in sports, coaching his son and the pros and cons with the AAU circuit, working for President Obama, and how that shaped his relationship with politics today, the cancel culture and the Black Lives Matter movement. We got a lot packed into the show. But first, we start with Haley's comments. Our comments start with the comeback of another Batman, Matt Harvey, should Tom Brenneman, the Reds play by play announcer, stay or go? The Washington football team making the right choice in Jason Wright as the first ever black team president in the NFL and the hashtag FreeBritney movement for one of the greatest entertainers of all time? Listen or watch on the Props Network YouTube channel to find out. For the Props Network, this is just for sport in three, two, one. Okay, people, it's time for my favorite segment, Haley's Comments. Good morning, Haley. How are you doing?
1: Good evening, Jamoke. I'm doing (laughs) fine over here on the other side of the world. How are you?
0: I am hanging in there, getting ready to start my day. And I am really excited when I get to start my day with Haley's Comments, not just because you always throw a curveball, it's a lot of fun, but I've been like, stuck in nba bubble basketball talking a lot about it with joe Walkowski, and you know making picks watching games so it's like wow let me come up for air a little bit
1: yeah well i got some air for you we're gonna take you to some weird places today how about we okay. start with a little baseball
0: okay i'm ready i'm ready
1: okay this is the most wholesome thing you're gonna have on your podcast like ever so i love the little league world series and everything that happens on the diamond away from the diamond, everything surrounding the Little League World Series. And this is the closest thing you'll get to that kind of wholesome baseball that's going to happen in Major League Baseball. So a lot of people have followed the story of Matt Harvey. He was a teammate of our favorite baseball player last year. So rooting for him and he was called up this week, to make his debut with the Kansas City Royals, he signed a minor league deal with them, and he's looking to make a career comeback here. His outing got off to an uncertain start, but he actually, he was doing pretty good. He was painting the corners. He looked like he had great command, and he struck out Jesse Winker, and this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Um, It looked like it was a four-seam fastball. I have to confer with my baseball sources here in the household. But the movement on this thing was nasty. And Winker was so impressed, he turned around as he was walking off the field and gave Harvey a thumbs up. How cute is that?
0: (laughs) That's pretty cool. I mean, I never thought Batman would fall so far after starting with the Mets. Um, I love who doesn't love a comeback story, especially in America? Like, it's really cool to see him back on the diamond there was a lot which we will get into later which was surrounding this game but first and foremost it was the first game back for the cincinnati Reds after having a pause for coronavirus a matt harvey start a lot of drama he was even considering playing in south korea but you know decided to try to give mlb another shot and and it's exciting to see him on the mound i think the funny thing when i think about his quote was like it was kind of a surreal moment and I just had two bad pitches that were home runs I mean it's only two and we lost the game
1: because of it but you can make two mistakes heck dude, you can dude. make one mistake and it'll cost you the game <laughs> the entire
2: That's game works. Yeah, you don't yeah. Locate
1: a pitch right but hey he looked phenomenal in what I saw so good for Harvey I'm rooting for him you're rooting for him now right yes definitely um, Okay, so on a much less positive note, uh, before the first pitch, not many people I think were tuned into the broadcast, Jamoke, but Tom Brenneman, the play-by-play announcer for the Cincinnati Reds, let a homophobic slur fly over the air. A lot of people have heard it. It's out there in the Twitterverse it shocked me. I had to listen to it about five times to confirm that what he said was what he actually said. I was thinking maybe I misheard it, maybe it was a lisp in some way, shape, or form, but Jamoka, you and I work together in professional sports at a pretty high level. I've never heard you say anything like that. I've never heard one of my colleagues say anything like that. I think you can say the same how appalled are you? I mean, I think that's the only question here is how appalled are you that someone can have that kind of platform and still have that kind of uh, hate in their heart?
0: Mm-hmm. I think let's start there, right? The hate in their heart is tough to understand, one, where it comes from, that we all come with certain things that have we don't quite understand that over the course of time we may have been used to saying something and now we can't say it and it's not a thing where you should say well you used to be able to say it no the bottom line is we need to realize that we should have never been saying it that's where it comes from secondarily as a professional you gotta know right don't say anything on a hot mic bottom line Bottom line, you keep it to business, try as best you can to keep your personal feelings, thoughts, expressions, whatever the case may be, just don't say them. Because once people see who you are, understand what, you know, you peel back the onions and see underneath that bottom layer, this is who Tom Brenneman is. I know people don't like the cancel culture. I'm not a big fan of the cancel culture. I think that, you know, just like we're talking about Matt Harvey getting a second, or third chance to come back, you would like to think that that's where we are, that we should have that second chance. But in this cancel culture, time's got to go. Mm. You had a great career. I guess, you know, you are going to have to suffer some major consequences for making that mistake. And... I mean, look, for any of the young professionals, for you and me out there, hey, hot mic, watch what you say. At least because, you know, for you and me, you and I are the only two that are controlling this mic and this recording right now. But when you're Tom Brenneman, there's people around the world watching your raw feed. There are people in the truck immediately with your broadcast that have the, you know, are listening to everything you say. You just got to be careful.
1: Here's what bothered me about it was, The game went on for five innings. He made an apology. How can you so quickly, when he said that with such conviction, when he said that slur with such conviction, how can you so quickly put together a sincere apology? I think that apology isn't going to sit with anyone as a genuine one, really, because you can see that that's what's on his heart and he knows better at this point, it's 2020. He knows better, absolutely. Um, that's why it's very hard for the public to reckon with his apology. We've seen celebrities say things that they absolutely shouldn't say, and in a way, pay recompense for it. Um, I don't know if you've been following The Bachelor Bachelorette, but Hannah Brown, the most popular figure probably in The entire franchise said a racial slur when she was lip syncing a song Uh and she went on to spend two weeks studying why why it's wrong. Um, You know, the history of that kind of hate in our country and from her, her apology seems very genuine and she seems like she went and educated herself and she was humble and allowed herself to learn um so a lot of people in the black community accepted her apology but here i haven't heard any anyone in the gay lgbtq plus community say that sounded like a truly sincere apology and you can't blame them for that Mm -hmm. and there just isn't room for that particularly when you're in when you're a public figure i just cannot imagine the years that man has been on the job to be able to get those words through his filter and let that go out over broadcast. It just, it astounds me.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, reading on Twitter, it's, it was interesting to see the LGBT community, you know, some of them coming down on him, some of them saying, hey, like you're saying, let's give him a chance to get educated. You know, the word he used, I still don't understand how they use that word for a cigarette. Mm. Um, in in Great Britain. like I just feel like that word needs to go away. But my thing is that it isn't like this word has been okay and now two months ago they said you can't use it. He's been using it. This means he's been using this word and saying this stuff for a very, very long time. And when the mic is really off, this is how he talks. This is what he believes in in his heart either about the f lgbt community or about that f word one of the two or both and so Mm -hmm. for him to talk about it the way he did for him to in his uh apology use the word pride i take pride like all of these things that you're just thinking about like yeah you know i just you know it's tough i think it's tough but i i feel like Some people are going to have to suffer tough consequences. And one of those for Tom Brennan, you had a great career, might be, you got to just go and we got to find somebody else to replace you.
1: The court of public opinion is a tough one. So we can rest assured that. Yeah, it will not die.
0: It will not die. Absolutely
1: not, especially when everyone has nothing better to do than rip people apart on Twitter. People should be understanding and reasonable, so I'll throw that little disclaimer out there. Okay, unwritten rules of baseball. That is one very obvious unwritten rule. Don't utter homophobic, hateful, racial slurs, anything like that (laughs) anywhere in the world, let alone on a broadcast Um, apparently a big unwritten rule of baseball I was unaware of Um, did you know when the bases are loaded and you have a substantial lead that um, on a 3-0 count you shouldn't swing at a fat pitch right right up here right about up here right oh
0: definitely Um, yeah 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 I downloaded I downloaded the unwritten rules book on my on my uh phone because it was one million pages long so it's tough to know all of the unwritten rules but i know them i looked at my pdf
1: honestly though i if if you're guys out there and you get a fastball kind of up in the zone and you can get a barrel on it don't you swing i am i just a morally corrupt person because I'm gonna go ahead and say maybe you should, maybe you should intentionally walk them. Maybe if you don't have that kind of command, I don't know. Why would you put anything near the zone if you're worried about? I just wouldn't count, especially a young guy like that. I mean, yeah. if it's a big vet you face for years and years, but yeah. I don't know,
0: man. Vlad Guerrero Jr. got in trouble for it. I think there's a trend here. I think the unwritten rule, the amendment needs to be, if you are the son of a, another former player, you should understand or respect the unwritten rules a little bit more. But you know what I think with this younger generation, they may need to write the rules down. Maybe that's <laughs> what you do because they need to be written for people to understand the rules. I think if anything – Maybe the problem was that Fernando Tatis Jr. should have done like the Michael Jordan, like shrug, like, sorry. Oh, and I, no.
1: You know, yeah. just, uh, just hit a home run, my bad. Dude, I was happy for the guy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm I, lie to. You. I, I love it. And I love anything against the unwritten rules because they're the most ridiculous thing I have ever, in my entire life of sports, I have never, ever understood. Yeah. yeah. That, I know. that's how it feels
1: crazy and the nuance in it like there's so many and how can guys be aware of all of this when this is going on on the field like it just blows my mind um all right so that's something that basically requires a master's degree and we probably will never fully understand let's pivot to football the washington football team making a lot of positive changes here trying to make amends and and send their ship in a better direction jason wright hired as the team president, the first Black team president in NFL history. What do you think about him as a figurehead here for the Washington football team?
0: I am excited um, because I think I really enjoy, you know, we talk about a comeback story. I like transformations of players that move into the front office. You know, I think even when I look at, Any job, always talk about you got to have experience before you get the job. And when someone doesn't have experience, I'm very critical and I don't really like it. But you look at someone like Jason Wright and he's 38 years old, former running back. He's worked for multiple teams. The Washington football team needs a culture change. What better way to have a culture change than go with someone who is... Has the, the skin color that has dealt with a lot of issues for African Americans for over 400 years. Like mm. the things that we have dealt with as, as people, I will applaud anyone who's getting an opportunity to not just be in an organization. It's one thing to just hire African Americans or a, a woman. You know or uh, someone uh, LGbtq you know we have uh, uh former uh, female coaches now in the NFL mm-hmm. so it's one thing to start hiring people you know we talk about that Dan Rooney room in, in football, but it's another when they are in a leadership position when they can actually make change and bring other people up, and not just you know yeah, you want to bring up minorities but you also know that it, it shouldn't just be minorities. It should be the best person for the job in most cases. But I think in this case, you know, I think it's extra special because he's African-American. He is a former player. And I know that he's worked for the McKinsey Institute. He's had uh, years of experience with the Falcons, 49ers, Browns, Cardinals. So he comes with a resume that is worthy of the job. And first and foremost, that's why I like the hide
1: jim you hit the nail right on the head it's pretty much national international consensus that it's time to lift the voices of people from marginalized groups and you can't point to a hiring like this or another appointee and say that oh he's just getting the job because they want the first you know they want that accolade um there are so many people who are qualified for these positions and they're finally being represented. And I think that's going to sit well with the Washington fan base. And that's something that's so important to the Washington area because the history surrounding this team and the region is so fraught with racial controversy. So Mm -hmm. to have a leader like that with that kind of football resume is fantastic.
0: Yeah. And, And I would like to see how he and Ron Rivera work together because, you know, Jason is going to be responsible for leading the organizations, like the business division. This isn't, you know, he's not coming in to do, you know, football and dealing with coaches and stuff like that. No, he's going to be working with the operations, the marketing, sales, finance. So it'd be interesting to see what he does on that side of the ball. The one thing I will say, and I won't get into it, people can look it up, but Bomani Jones made some comments about how he's skeptical of people uh, that come out of the McKinsey company. They've done some shady, dealings uh with the Astros things like that so it'll be interesting to see you know I know we got a lot of backlash for it then he had to kind of say well no you know look I'm happy for him I'm just talking about the McKinsey and company so I'm gonna keep my eye on that uh but you know that is another issue too when you talk about the cancel culture yo 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 you know Jones, Jones your brother you know you can't be you know ripping on the brother before he gets the job and it's like I get that, but he's also coming at it from factual evidence that says that some people have done some crazy things from the McKinsey company, but at the same time, we we're talking about, you know, bad Apple spoiling the bunch with McKinsey company, because I'm sure there are a lot of great employees out of there, and Jason Wright, maybe another one.
1: Let's hope so, for Washington yes. fans. Yes. Okay, we'll talk some NHL. We got some hockey in August. How about that?
0: Hockey in August. Who knew? It's just as bad as when you think about hockey in Phoenix. Like, no, you can't play hockey in Phoenix. It just doesn't work in my book.
1: The guys are supposed to be up at their lake houses in Canada celebrating with the cup and not... Not here. Not exactly.
0: Here. Not <laughs> here playing hockey. No, no.
1: But Alex Ovechkin is um, rocking is some questionable facial hair. His goatee. I would like to get your take on it. And um, could could it get any more Russian?
0: So, uh, no, he definitely looks Russian. It reminds me of Rocky IV, I Will Break You. Like you know, Ivan <laughs> Drago. Like, no, I, just, I it's just funny to see... Okay, okay, because first let me uh, unpack this a little bit. To me, that's another unwritten rule. Like, I didn't even understand this whole thing about uh, not shaving during the playoffs. I just, no. I didn't didn't even understand it until, you know, I became, uh, when I was an employee and, Mm -hmm. you know, working with the, I should have worn my ring because I knew we were talking about the caps. I should have worn my ring. It's upstairs somewhere. Um, But no, like, I feel like it's a good thing because to see Alex Ovechkin the capital go down like this, and then he has a little goatee, you know, they're about to get eliminated, not just Mm. eliminated, but by their former coach, Barry Trotz, who now Mm. coaches the Islanders, Trotz, Trotz, Trotz. That would have been devastating. So you needed something to turn it around, something. And if they can come back from a 3-0 deficit because Alex Ovechkin now has a goatee, why not? I mean, the greatest goal scorer ever, the greatest player, which, by the way, I mentioned Phoenix, that's where he had his best goal ever of all time on his back, sliding on the ice, flicks it behind his. Oh, God, that goal was amazing. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, Absolute beauty. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, though, I still got a soft spot for Barry Truck. So if yeah. if the worst were to happen, uh, would be would be not so unhappy for I can't say it but yeah it wouldn't, wouldn't be miserable for him um, Alex Ovechkin postseason greatness 68 career postseason goals he's now wow. tied with 40 how and Sydney <coughs> Crosby for 18 <laughs> yep 18 most postseason goals all time in the NHL history so amazing and I'm a believer that you can change the mojo with just the smallest tweaks but only changing his facial hair is a huge tweak actually because I think of him as the Wolverine with the um, really just wild kind of unkempt yeah Yeah. but I I don't like it I don't like the aesthetic but if it works it works
0: (laughs) And, and added to the to to his mystique you know, I think mm. he just looks different now. He, you know what he looks? He looks older. He, he looks died. like an older oh veteran where it's like, wait, you know, he's on his last leg. This is like the end of his career. Yeah. And he's, a, he's a mature Vetchkin. He's the dad now. And I think for the Capitals, just say that it was because we're trying to re- reverse our playoff mojo. Just say mm-hmm. it. Just say it. Come on, because then, yeah. then you have all of America shaving their playoff beards to be goatees. That's what's happening right now with Russia Machine and whoever else in DC. Whoa. I'm sure they're all changing their beards into playoff goatees.
1: Oh, oh, I'm mad at you for that one. But uh, you know, if it works, it works. It works. Um, it works. Okay, so real life Willy Wonka type situation going on in a Swiss town. A lint chocolate factory had a malfunction and they had some precipitation, some pretty sweet precipitation. Uh, it was snowing chocolate, Jamoke. That,
0: that is beautiful.
1: Would you be out there making snow angels?
0: Almost oh, definitely. I would make a snow angel. Uh, you know what else I was thinking about? I would make a little teeny tiny chocolate snowman. You know, if I could make a little teeny tiny, and it just take one little bit. It'd be like a, a, well, I guess it'd be wrong to call it a Hershey kiss, but a Hershey, you know, a, a lit snowman is what I would make. Um, that's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. remember... Remember, like, as a kid, when you would, like, stick out your tongue and the, the snow, uh, like, could you imagine just doing that and, like, it's just chocolate? No, I can't oh, gosh, imagine. gosh, that would be it. awesome.
1: Of Everything that's happened this year, I feel like we deserve this, and it should be happening everywhere, so.
0: Yeah, and don't clean it. You know, it's not, well, well I guess you got to clean it because it's not going to melt like snow. <laughs> could you imagine? when it gets
1: warm, you got fondue.
0: Yes, yes, there you go.
1: Okay, let's go down conspiracy lane, shall we? Yeah. Okay, we've both been following Free Britney for a while. Britney Spears is speculated to be a prisoner of her own home, you could say. There's all that stuff that went down in 07. She basically went off the wall, shaved her head, and she lost her power of attorney. Crazy stuff like that. The speculation is that she is under court order to... Take her meds that are prescribed to her that she might be on um, hallucinogenics and some crazy stuff that might be mind-altering, and her social media is both tough to watch, but you can't look away. I mean, you follow her on Instagram or check out anything she posts, it's like she looks like her soul is kind of levitating out of her body, and she's just she's really, oh man, she doesn't even look like she's a human being anymore. So... Um, her father was appointed to be, uh, I don't know what the legal term would be here, but basically he runs her estate, I think, and so he's making all the calls in her life, and so that appointment is going Mm -hmm. to run out um, soon, and so her people are saying that she's not happy with that appointment. She doesn't want her father to be running the show. What do you think is going on behind, behind the curtain there? Because yeah. it just, it does not look good.
0: First of all, uh, full disclosure, but not a real full disclosure, but uh, just <laughs> a funny one. Britney Spears' circus concert was the best concert I have ever seen ever, ever, ever. So Britney Spears in my book is awesome. Hashtag Free Britney. She is amazing. I loved it. And the thing is, like, it was free tickets. I was like, I've never been to a Britney... I've never really heard a Britney Spears song. I know them, but not, like, (laughs) putting them on my iTunes. And someone's like, hey, you want to go to a concert tonight? And I was like, you know what? I'm curious about it. Let me go. Greatest concert I have ever seen. So entertaining. Circus tour. Best tour. Okay, here's my thing. This conservator co-conservator i just simply don't get it like what is i remember when she shaved her head and stuff but like is does she really have that many issues i mean i don't follow her that much and then when you you know i saw it twin trend, trending and i was like mm-hmm. what is free Brittany? and then you put on the rundown i was like oh my gosh we're going to talk about this and so i was like okay let me read a little bit more about it and understand it i'm so confused it's like you know Andrew Wallet, who is her attorney, is also a co-conservator with her father. Mm. But then she wants a, a psychic, but her care manager to maybe be her co-conservator. <laughs> I am just lost in trying to understand what's happening here. And I do—I just want to have her life back. Maybe it's the med that's making her crazy, and just getting her life back. Oh,
1: one hundred percent. They'll
0: help. They'll help. They'll help. They'll help that's what I believe.
1: Oh man. Oh my gosh. That woman has to be on so many different, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate there. We're all on her side and we all want to hashtag free Britney.
0: I just said, I never even heard of it, but if I could have a conservator, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my wife would be a good one. I, yeah. I would just say, yep. You take care of everything. Um, I am in good hands. I am in good hands. And I bet Justin would say the same thing.
1: I don't know about that. If that ever happens, you check in on him. Okay. It's a close call. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Crazy week. Crazy week.
0: Yeah. Okay, Haley. Thank you so much. Uh, Listen, let's hope that hashtag free Britney leads to a change for her. Uh, We want uh, Matt Harvey. Hope everything goes well for Batman and for Mm -hmm. the caps. I don't know soft spot for very trots let's give him a try at, at eliminating the cats
2: all right.
0: all right okay all right ciao I for now so. see you later konichiwa that's what i need to say konichiwa right? Konnichiwa. all right <laughs> Okay, people, coming up next on Just for Sport is former NBA player, author, and personality, Eton Thomas. He talks about Michael Jordan, Gilbert Arenas, betting in sports, the AAU circuit, Barack Obama, and police brutality. Lots to talk about. But first, this brief message. Before you bet at your favorite online sportsbook this season, you need to check out thepropsnetwork.com. Why? Because the Props Network will tell you everything you need to know about sportsbook promos where to score free bets, and the options for legal betting in your state. Plus, the Props Network now has live odds comparisons for NBA, NHL, and MLB. So you can make every bet knowing that you've got the best value available. That's why thepropsnetwork.com is a must for any U.S. sports betting fan. Remember, it's 21 and over the bet. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER today. Now, back to Just for Sport. Okay, people, joining me now is former Washington Wizard NBA player, we go way back, Etan Thomas. Thank you very much for giving me some time on Just for Sport. I really appreciate it. How you doing?
3: Uh, No problem at all. Even wore my throwback, you know, Wizard shirt.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Those were some good old days. i tell you what, my favorite teams. Uh, when I first started, uh, you were already there on the Wizards and mm-hmm. it was just such a magical time. I thought that team uh was was gonna go places and yeah, you know we had a
3: special team. It, it, it was we just kept running into LeBron in, in Cleveland. That's what it was. <laughs> I mean, the one year and I don't remember you
0: came right after MJ, right? 06. I was there at 06. It was my first season.
3: Okay, so you had a, a few seasons yeah. after that. So you yeah. wasn't there when we went, when we played, when we beat Chicago.
0: No, and, yeah. and I want to talk right. about that a little bit too. Yeah. That was a
3: great series. But then after that, it was just Cleveland every year, like for four or five years straight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the uh, crab dribble. Uh, that's all I can go uh, back to, right?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start there, because, I mean, your career has yeah. spanned basketball all the way to now being Mm. an activist motivational speaker but if we could start with basketball you know the last dance um I was almost disappointed because no technically in my mind the last dance was with the wizards yeah (laughs) What what was that like to be a part of it
3: oh well first of all playing with MJ it was crazy it was like it was like traveling with Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? It was because there was that level of attention and fandom and everything like that. We land in a place and there's like thousands of people and, you know, uh, cameras going and everything like that. And those were my first, that was like my first year, you know, in the league. I, yeah. I got drafted by Dallas, but I was hurt that year and had surgery. So that really wasn't, that really didn't count. So that was my first experience. And I was like, dang, this is how the NBA is? And it was like. No, you know, I remember Leitner saying, no, they're here for MJ. They're not here for us. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Well, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Was was there any mystique? Like, how long did it take for you to get over the fact that Michael Jordan was in the same locker room with you as a player? You know, in terms of, because, I mean, obviously watching The Last Dance, you know, everybody talks Mm -hmm. about how intense he was and tough. And I imagine all of you as players had some sort of level of intensity and competitiveness but what was it like being next to him and when did he stop becoming MJ and maybe more of just a teammate?
3: Well, I mean, when we was in training camp, you know, we were away in someplace in North Carolina and you know what I mean? And we were just kind of isolated from everything and we're like there 10 days doing 2 days It just kind of comes into a routine and after a while he just becomes a regular person, you know? But then once we went back and then we traveled, then it was like, oh, yeah, yeah this is different. You know, because <laughs> it was literally like we would see people, you know, you know, those old like videos of Michael Jackson traveling and like, you know, Europe and different places and yeah. you would see people like look at him and then just start crying. Yeah. Like that, that's what we saw with MJ. They were just looking <laughs> and it was like, wow. Or like people like, you know, touches, touches his his, his sleeve and they pass out. You know, yeah. and it was like, wow, like this is on a whole nother level, but it was it was a great experience. I mean, I'm sure if you ask every player, everyone would give you a different description, you know, because they had a different experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me personally, you know, it was a great experience. Now, I, I, was, I was a young kid back then. You know, I, you know Doug Connors really wasn't playing me that much, so I was just kind of watching and that's really what I did. I, I used those first two years of the league just to watch and learn. You know, I watched and studied MJ and Byron Russell and Chris Whitney and, you know, Jahidi and Papa Jones and, you know, Charles Oakley and Layton all of those guys, they were all vets. Mm-hmm. So my job was to just study and sit there quiet. I didn't have to, you know, say anything. So a lot of times guys will say, you know, from back then, you know, I was really quiet. And it wasn't that I didn't talk. I just was paying attention and listening, yeah. you know, and that, <laughs> was, that was my job. And that's what you do when you're a young player. You You watch and learn from the
0: vets. What would you say was, because, some? I mean, Michael, just having him was amazing. And going through that, you know, you were part of that final fail, farewell tour for Michael. Um, would you say that the Michael Jordan teams were just as good as some of the teams later with you, Gilbert, Karan, Antoine?
3: Well, the thing about that is they were older, though. You know what I mean? So it's different. You got to understand, like, you know, it was it was it was it was a different type of a setup. Um, But, you know, playing. I mean, we had legends. I mean, I grew up. So I grew up a Knicks fan. That's how I grew up. So for me, playing with Oakley was like, dang, this is Oakley. You know, (laughs) because I always grew up rooting against MJ.
2: Mm-hmm. Because I was a Knicks
3: fan. If you are a Knicks yeah. fan, you you grew up rooting against MJ. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but those teams, they were special, but the guys were older. So seeing, you know, because there's a lot of things about, you know, they were hurting. Like Leitner, his back was always hurting. And his, you know, you know, uh, um, MJ, his knee swelling up, and he'd have to get drained. And Oakley was, you know, his foot and Popeye. And they were all like legends, but they were older. So it was a little bit different.
0: Was okay, and that's funny, cause like Leitner was also thought of like the second coming. And then we got to the to the NBA, it was like, no, not really, but he seems to be a really cool guy. I know I'm pivoting a little bit here, but Oh, definitely. What, <laughs> what was Leitner like? So my locker was
3: right next to Leitner's, right? I, that's what I was right and, and I the first time I met him, I said, you know what, I gotta be honest with you. I literally grew up hating your guts. Like, I literally <laughs> hated you my entire life. And he started laughing. He was like, yeah, I kind of get that a lot. And, you know, because I was a big Fab Five fan. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so in Lakers, you know, like that that ESPN 30 for 30, Um, everybody hates Lakers or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. That's how I felt. Like, I was <laughs> like, Lakers is the devil. Like, he is just, I, I hated him with a passion. But after getting to know him, especially with the Wizards, and and I remember telling my boys this back in Tulsa, I was like, because they asked me, you know, or I'd be on something, and I asked, hey, so who do you hang with with the Wizards? Who's like the coolest guy? Like, you know what? Y'all are not going to believe this. (laughs) But Christian Leitner is like the (laughs) coolest dude on the team. And they were like, Christian Leitner. Yeah. You <laughs> Christian Leitner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm telling you, he was like the coolest dude. and He really yeah. was. Like, he is. Like, he, it, it just, everything that I thought about him was not true. Yeah, It was a perception. You know, he was perceived as being this way, and he was the complete opposite. Like, the complete opposite. So, yeah, yeah he was
0: great. After we finished the podcast, he was like, hey, if y'all want to come fishing in Jacksonville, you know, whenever you're in town, <laughs> just let me know. I was like, what? I'm like, okay, this is Yeah, no, he's the coolest dude on earth. That's yeah. it. That yeah. So, it, you know, we go to those Gilbert this years. You brought up that uh, game-winning shot. You upset the Bulls. Mm. You know, like, I just go back to those years from the outside looking in, but I know I was an employee, too, covering the team that I just thought it was special. Like, when I think of um, uh, a complete team, I thought that was a complete team. Yeah. just didn't put it all together. What do you think maybe was the missing piece that didn't get you to the finals? Or, you know, as you really kind of summed it up, it really was LeBron James.
3: That's what it was. That's what it was. It was LeBron James. That's all it was. I mean, <laughs> the guy, they we had a special team. Gilbert was one of the, you know, top players in the league, really. That, yeah, he was one of the top. And, you know, if he's not in the top tier, he was, like, right under it. So he, yeah. was, he was the top. We had, like, a special team, and... um Coach Eddie Jordan was, was a great coach. You know, he, he the way that he drew up things and he let guys play and he rewarded guys for, for doing well. You know, sometimes coaches can get locked in to playing certain units. And no matter if they're playing well or not, they always play. So Coach Jordan wasn't really like that. You know, when he first came after, you know, the MJ, you know, um, retired again and Doug yeah. Collins left and everything like that, he was just, all right, everybody has a clean slate. And whoever plays well is going to play. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is great. You yeah. know what I mean? Because <laughs> Doug Collins wasn't really playing me. But with, I didn't. T- at that time, I took personally. But, you know, it was really, you know, MJ felt more comfortable playing around older guys mm-hmm. and the vets. And then they traded Rip Hamilton, who was, yeah. he was Rip Hamilton. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. if you wanted an older, you know, player, more, you know, everything like that. And, and Jerry Stackhouse was the man. It was just two different things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but with with Coach Jordan, know the way that he operated everything it we had a special unit and you know before first when Larry Hughes was there now I think that that was a big difference when they didn't resign Larry Hughes
2: Mm -hmm.
3: that was a huge because him and Gilbert had a certain bond that Gilbert deferred to him and he was like big brother type of a thing and so and his demeanor was so calming and everything like that he never got rattled. I remember in the Chicago series, we was down 0-2. We went out to Chicago and got like smacked two games straight. You know what I mean? And then I remember the the third game, we came back with the um back back home, and I remember I had a good game that game, and he just kept going to me. He was yeah. like, "Hey man, we're gonna be fine." Like he like that that was just, that was just Boog's um demeanor. And Gilbert was like, "Hey man, we gotta
2: do this." He was like, "Hey, be fine. yeah, <laughs> you
3: know," what I mean? and, and he just calmed everything down. So that that dynamic was really helpful. And I think when they didn't resign him, you know, you saw a little bit of a change in Gilbert. But then even after that, with, with Karan and everybody, we had good teams, good runs. It was just LeBron would make some unbelievable play at the end of the game or something like that. and Yeah. You know, it was, that, was, that was tough. But
0: we was right there. We just couldn't get over the hump. Yeah, it's funny how I, I feel like when maybe it's more fans, you know, but also front office – when you sit there and you think about whether a player's worth it to be on your team, re-sign, train, whatever, and you think of what they do on the court and not fully understanding the value off the court. Right. Or or how, you know, they coalesce with the yeah. team. Like that, that was really because I feel like you're not the first one to say, hey, that was the moment that we we made the wrong decision. One uh-huh. of my favorite tweets of yours, and we'll get to many of your tweets. Okay, one of my favorite ones was I remember when you took a screenshot showing Steph Curry's stats right next to Gilbert's in like right. the first six seasons. You're like, yeah. no, Steph Curry's not doing anything that Gilbert was already doing. Right, right. He was amazing. And it's just a shame because for a while he was the best player in the league.
3: Yeah. No, he was. And I, you know, I just interviewed him for a podcast that I do called The Rematch. And, you know, we talked a lot about that. And and he took ownership of you know, his part in a lot of different things, you know, like with his with his um, his injury and how, you know, when you're young, you try to feel invincible. But then, and I understood what he was saying, but I also kind of have to point the finger at management as well. And this is not to just bash Ernie Grumfeld, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. honestly, you know, th- there's a certain direction that you have to have with players and say, no, you know, we're going to take the advice of doctors and you are not going to play right now. Yeah. And then that'd be it. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like with, like, you know, I always make references to RG3, and nobody wanted to take responsibility, and they say, well, he wanted to go in the game. I was like, well, he's not a doctor. You know, of <laughs> course a player's going to want to go in the game. You hire doctors to be able to give their expert opinion to say, no, yeah. you shouldn't go in the game, <laughs> and that's what it should be. And I just think that, you know, Ernie Brunfeld didn't do that. I thought he mishandled Gilbert in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, Gilbert is, is a player, and he'll he'll tell you this. I'm not saying anything that he won't say himself. You know, he needed a little bit more structure sometimes than I think Ernie Grunfeld provided. Yeah. And you know, there, there's a hierarchy in everything, but sometimes Gilbert needed to be told no. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. no, no, Gilbert, you can't do that. <laughs> that's what he needs. That's what he needs. To and Ernie just didn't do that.
0: Instead, he's rehabbing on Barry Farms, playing right. on a blacktop. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. He he was he was a different cat. Yeah. Um, one of the things you know, uh, you know, I have so many like interesting questions to to ask you, and I got to pare mm-hmm. them down. But a random one that came to my mind is, you know, we talk about the there's a greener pasture, and everyone talks about a practice facility, and the Wizards now have one. But I thought it was always cool that your the practice court was in the arena. You had one place to go all the time. Yeah. You know, did you like that or did it feel too confining and you needed more space as a player?
3: No, I liked it. I mean, it was a, You have a more familiarity with where you're going to be playing. And, you know, you have the same locker room that you go into. You know, you, you I mean, for the games, I a lot of times I didn't come out and warm up on the playing on the um, the game court. I went down and had my same routine on the practice court. i would yeah. come early and do my stuff and everything like that. And it, you know, I like the practice court, you know, I, yeah. I, I haven't, you know, I didn't experience the, the, the other court, you know, the right. other facility, but um, yeah, I was just fine with the practice court. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I, I really liked it. I just couldn't understand why that was a big thing. I know maybe it was a space part of it. Um, How many players or which players are you close with today that you talk to on a regular basis? I talk to most of the guys, you know. I
3: mean, especially with social media, we see what they're doing. I'm happy for what Karan is doing in the media, you know, I'm just on Larry Larry Hughes' podcast. I talked to Kwame. I talk, you know, I, I talked to all the guys. Um, yeah. you know, we we all keep in touch, you know. Yeah, we've had different, you know, um, you know, with teammates, you you go through different periods. And me and Antonio Daniels was talking about this when he was on our team. We were talking about this very subject because he, you know, I asked him, I guess, does he still talk to Tim Duncan and all the guys from the Spurs and everything like that? He was like, yeah, we all, you know, we all talk. We yeah. see each other at anniversaries, see each other, wish each other well and all this different stuff. We, we talk and you have, there's a bond that you have once you're teammates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a connection. And then you go back and what all guys do is they reminisce.
0: Yeah. Reminisce <laughs> on when this
3: happened, good or bad. They just reminisce, and that's, you know, <laughs> that's what guys do.
0: What's one of your favorite reminiscing stories uh, about the, maybe not the MJ, because you did reminisce a little bit about MJ, but what yeah, are your we favorite did. stories? I
3: mean, there was a lot. I mean, because Gilbert was such a character. Like, he used to do stuff, and you you would shake your head and just be laughing. You'd be like, man, this dude, you know? <laughs> he, like, it was, it, there, there's so many. I mean, we could really have a a documentary over the Wizards years. Yeah. Because so much stuff always happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, I mean, it, it was, it's funny because there was this one thing where with with MJ, and this is one of my favorite stories with MJ. You know, because I, I coach my son's AU team now. So I kind of use this story a lot.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah,
3: so MJ had a real, had a, it wasn't a bad game. It just wasn't an MJ game, right? And it was against Indiana. And what happened was, you know, Doug Collins was really trying to rest him for the next game because we had a back to back but he didn't play a lot in the fourth quarter. And then I think, and we lost and, you know, he, he broke the, he broke his record for scoring double digits, you know, cause he, I guess he scored double digits all before and everything, something yeah. like that, right? So the papers were like killing him, like literally killing MJ. Like, oh, he tarnished, he tarnished his image, he shouldn't have came back. He's, you know, he's just, you know, all this different stuff, right? So I remember, and, and, and this is the funny part is, the last dance when it showed MJ like reading the newspapers, yeah. right? He's like rocking and stuff like that. So I remember him doing that after that game. So he was just rocking, reading the newspaper in his in his locker. He was like, huh? <laughs> like kind of just, and he kind of does like this. <laughs> so he just rocked it. So that next game we played, it, it was like the MJ show. Like he he literally. I mean, he broke the record for the most points scored by a old, a person his age or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just then all the newspapers was like, oh, MJ's great again. He's the king. He's this. <laughs> like, I'm sitting there like, these are the same people that was just dogging him. <laughs> and and, and Leighton was like, yeah, that's how the media is. This is a good lesson for you, pay attention. Because remember, his lock was right next to mine. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like, huh, this is interesting. They will turn on you in a minute. So in if they minute. turn on MJ... You know, all of us, it'll happen again. But that was just a real interesting moment. That was like a learning experience moment for
0: me. Yeah. And that's interesting, too, because now you're on the other side of the media. And there's a lot to unpack with that. I want to start with the fact that I noticed it. I don't know if you pay attention to it. The number of players from the Washington Wizards that are all in the media. A lot of us. Brendan, yeah. Keron, yeah. you, Antonio Daniels. Antoine uh, Daniels. Larry Hills. Antoine yeah, Larry Oh, everybody. <laughs> Everybody's in the media. What? Yeah. What is it? Was there something in the water in Washington? I know it was in the water PG County. <laughs> PG but County. there was something <laughs> in the Wizards' water. <laughs> I don't know. It's
3: interesting because, you know, I always had a kind of an adverse kind of a relationship with a lot of the media when I was playing, um, you know, and... So I mean Gilbert's in the media. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean every everybody is in there. I I don't know. I was, you know, who was I talking to? Oh, I was talking to Deshaun about that. He was like, Yeah, all y'all guys in the oh, media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, all of us. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I can't call it. We're all doing something in the media. Yeah,
0: it just makes me really happy. The other thing that makes you really happy is players, mm-hmm. former wizards that go to other teams and win rings, even uh, when our team maybe didn't utilize it well or didn't believe yeah. in them. Uh yeah. Nick Young has a ring. Nick Javale Young Javelle
3: McGee has two rings. Daniel yeah.
0: House is starting with the Houston Rockets.
3: Like Yeah. 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 I don't know. Right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean that goes back to you know before with you know Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace and yep.
2: you know, all, yep. yep.
3: all that. Yep. I can't even yep. imagine that unit together. If they would have just all stayed together, stayed together,
0: yes,
2: yeah,
3: yeah. that's that's tough. I don't know. I
0: mean, I thought you know, like LeBron was saying, not one, not two, not right, 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 (laughs) together.
3: Yeah, that's crazy, man. man.
0: (laughs) But maybe part of it is that era, right? You talk about LeBron James and what Michael Jordan. As a Knicks fan. Did to the Knicks. Like, there was no chance of winning a championship for almost 10 years if he didn't retire those two. And it's like, no, we had a a quality squad. Yeah, that's true. We ran into an icon. Yeah, we ran into an icon. Uh, So you're doing the rematch. Mm -hmm. you got uh, the collision on WPFW. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're on Fly TV. Mm -hmm. What changed, Todd? What made you say, I want to have a voice? And it's a great voice, because not only are you talking sports, mm-hmm. but the way you talk about politics, pop culture, entertainment. I mean, let me tell you, when you put out that tweet about the entanglement, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, I was doing a little bit. I was doing writing and stuff while I was playing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would write. like, Yeah, so I would write for, like, Hoops Hype. And then, I, you know, I had my little spats with some of the media people. I know Tom Not if he's still out there, he's, he didn't like me at all. So I write an open letter to him. And I remember I had some with Ivan Carter and I had to write. So sometimes I was like motivated to write, but um, yeah, I just kind of kept doing it. And then it just was a, it was a natural progression. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see all the guys in the media and all of them doing well in the media. And, yeah. you know, it, it, we've been on each other's shows and seen each other and, you know, support each other and everything like that. I'm,
2: I'm happy for it.
0: Yeah. Would you ever consider being, you know, an an analysis doing broadcasts, or you, because I feel like that might be difficult because you do have some very uh, pointed tweets in terms of where our government is and things like that. Maybe it's not in the cards, but is that something you enjoy maybe thinking about? Because you are coaching too.
3: Yeah, well, that's not really my lane as far as the commentary and, like, the, as far as, like, the play-by-play or something like that. That's not really my lane. My more, yeah. Mine is more, you know, talking about sports and politics and talking about different topics and things of that nature. And I like doing interviews with guys. Yeah. Um, so that's really what I try to do with the rematch just really, you know, sit down these in-depth interviews with guys where you get to know them on a different level that you didn't really know them before. Because, uh, yeah. you know, talking about, like, the Gilbert... <clears throat> I really liked his, that, that interview a lot because he explained a lot mm-hmm. and I, you know, there, there's, not, so I always knew, I knew Gilbert Arenas on a yeah. different level. You know, I, a lot of people knew Hibachi or they knew agent zero or they knew no chill Gil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'll tell you our, our relationship was a little bit different, you know, cause we would have these in-depth conversations, you know, he would come to my room sometime and we'd just chop it up, just talk. I mean, I remember During the elections, we're breaking down the electoral process. He doesn't understand that. Like, why? Why is you know we're talking about like we had these in-depth conversations. And whenever I told anybody that, they were like, "Wait, Gilbert Arenas? (laughs) I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Y'all, y'all think y'all know him, but you don't." So Mm -hmm. I like to sit down and do an interview to show everyone the side of Gilbert that I Mm knew, and have him talk about things. And I asked him one of his biggest regrets, and he talked about the gun incident, and he told the story of what actually happened, not really. You know, because the story kind of got twisted, yeah. In, in, you know how how it happens, but yeah. um, you know, told the actual story what happened, told his regrets, told us everything like that, what he's learned, how he's grown, and you know how he he because he's in coaching now. I mean, yeah. t- we talked about how Kobe inspired him into coaching and things. So, so I, you know, those in-depth interviews where you can learn more about an athlete than you already know, you know, yeah. or that you think you know from just. Yeah, work, you know, seeing him play or seeing little uh, articles mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So that's something I I really enjoy doing. So yeah. it, it's you know everybody has their different lane in the media. So that's mm-hmm. kind of
0: you know that's kind of where I like to do. It's funny because you know listening to that podcast because I do listen to your podcast and you know hearing him talk. I still got to do the got to listen to the Jamel Hill one after this. Well, I listen to Jamel Hill, but you know that was a good one too. Yeah, <laughs> <That was laughs> a good one too. I, I remember when the gun incident happened what i remember in real time i was walking down the hallway towards the uh what was in the players lounge i remember javaris crittenden busting out of the players lounge just mad as i don't know what and i was like what is going on and ernie slowly followed out behind him right i didn't know what was going on i really didn't and then to see what happened afterwards it's like you're just speculating yeah. And, you know, I, I respected the process of, look, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to ask. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to ask. But right. I enjoyed listening to that podcast because it helped me get a better context of what happened then. Right. And that was really the end of what, even in my mind, was one of the better times in my career. That mm-hmm. I enjoyed working with you guys and covering you guys and getting to know you all. Mm-hmm. And to see it just kind of blow up and go away was just... Yeah.
3: It was definitely unfortunate. And, you know, but I, I was I was glad that Gil- Gilbert cleared up a lot of things that <clears throat> were just kind of misconstrued with the story. Yeah. All, because there's like five different versions of it that I even heard and read about. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what happened.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know what not that's, not,
3: that's not what happened at all. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's that, that's just kind of how it is. But I, you know, I do wish that Gilbert would have allowed everyone else to see the side that I saw mm-hmm. and I and I tell him I always tell him that I told him when I was interviewing him and I was like you know why didn't you why do you kind of allow people to think one way of you when that's not really who you are because he's, he's very intelligent he's very thoughtful in-depth conversations everything like that and he was like you know sometimes he just as embraces being you know the the, the class clown or yeah. or being the villain yeah. or something like that. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's shortchanging yourself, though, because you're mm-hmm. so much more than that, you know? So we, it was a great discussion. He was like, yeah, no. He was yeah. like, I hear you, because I, had a, I did a panel discussion, you know, because that's one, another thing I do. I put on, we like, panel discussions because I like debating different topics. So yeah. one of the, the debates that we did was at USC. So I called Gilbert, and it was like, Dr. Harry Edwards, it was, you know, we had this esteemed panel, and I wanted Gilbert to be on the panel as well. So when I did it, everybody was like, "Wait, you able to rate us on this panel with Dr. <laughs> Harry Edwards and you know he, uh, Marcellus Wiley and you know all the different people?" I'm like, "I'm like, um, yeah, you'll be just fine." Yeah. And so he did a great job. And after the panel, a lot of people were saying, "Well, I never knew this side of Gilbert." I'm yeah. like, and they, they, what they were trying to say was, I never knew that he could speak intelligently on a topic like this." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, that's because y'all don't really know him."
2: Right, right.
3: You know, so I, I, I'm i glad to be able to show a different side of athletes.
0: Mm-hmm. And and the funny thing is that Gilbert, I know that's different too, is I remember one time he called me at like 8 a.m. in the morning. And this was really before, I mean, I guess like at the beginning of YouTube and mm-hmm. reality shows and hard knocks. And he was like, okay, uh, what if we do like a 24-7 following my life and my comeback? Because he had gotten injured that year, and I think this was 2008. He's okay. like, yeah, I just want you to follow me around all the time. And let's just turn that into a series. And we're going to set up some security cameras, like in a locker room in the summer so they could see my comeback and workout. And Ernie was like, no. But I was like, yes, Gilbert, that's brilliant. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And Ernie was like, no, we're not doing that. I was like, oh, man. But like, he, he really was more intelligent than I think people gave him credit for.
3: Definitely. Not, not even a question. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, he's 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 doing a lot with coaching. He's doing a lot with coaching young guys and teaching them different things. And what I like what he does is, um you know, and I do this my myself as well, coaching my AAU team, is you teach younger guys from your mistakes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's that's the ones that really hit home because a lot of times people will present as if they always did all the right thing and they always had all the answers and everything like that. Yeah. But no, we're we're teaching you what we messed up with. So you don't yeah. mess up the same way. So right. That's, right. that's what I see him doing.
0: So I got to give respect for that. Uh, and so you're coaching now. What has mm-hmm. that been like and coaching your kids? Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, as a parent, you're always kind of a coach, but yeah. what has it been like getting back into basketball that way? Well, it's fun, you know. That wasn't
3: the plan. You know, I wasn't gonna coach my son. That wasn't the original <laughs> plan. I just kind of just kind of morphed into that. But you know, he's he's been doing well in coaching the team right. Um, FBCG Dynamic Disciples. And so, you know, what I did with him was I had him. I had when I first brought him there. He's playing two years up because he was tall, mm-hmm. but the game is different now. It's not like the you know big guys are just. In the paint, like how I played and anything like that. So people yeah. his height all had handles. So I wanted him to play against guys that were older than him, but, t- but his height.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so we did that. And he struggled the first, like, two years he struggled. Because, first of all, the guys were two years older than him. You know, so I was and I remember having a conversation because my wife, my wife's mom and my mom were like, let him play his age. He ain't having no fun. I'm (laughs) like, oh, he's going to be okay. It's all right. (laughs) So he was struggling. And then he just started getting better and better and improving. So so then I started, you know, getting into coaching more. And I had to always check with him because, you know, when you're coaching your son, there's there's certain ways that it can go. Either you let him do whatever he wants to do on the team and everybody hates somebody who turns into a little jerk you know what i mean yeah, yeah. or or you're too hard on him you know and to where you make him not even want to play anymore mm-hmm. and then there's that middle ground and i didn't want to be anywhere near the first option you know what yeah. i mean and i didn't want to go all the way to the to the to the other option so i try to get but i'm a little bit more towards the being hard on him i got to yeah. oh, be honest.
2: Really? Okay. okay oh no i am
3: <laughs> and so i always have to check with him and be like, all right, all right. Like after the season, I'm like, all right, are you cool with me coaching you? Cause I don't have to keep coaching you. You can go. Yeah. He's like, no, no, it's, it's cool. You know, cause yeah. I am harder on him because yeah. you know, he's two years younger than, than everybody else. But that's just the natural, you know, thing when you're coaching your son, you're like, you, you know, you want to push him a little bit more, but right. I'm kind of hard on everybody,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know? So they all say I'm like coach Carter. They say that, that's, that's, how, that's the comparison they make for me. I, you know, I'm like, all right, I guess so. You know, but but it's, it's fun coaching young people. It's fun yeah. because they're, they're A, you is such a valuable tool to preparing young men and women for life. Mm-hmm. So there's much more involved in it than just X and O's and basketball and everything like that for me. Yeah, You know, I'm taking them to panel discussions. I'm taking them to debates. I have, I'm taking them to different events. We're going to, you know, the museum, we're doing all this different stuff. So there's a lot more involved and I hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have to have their, their grades have to be right. Their behavior has to be right. Or I, uh, you know, it's, I, I yeah. hold them accountable. So it's, it's, it's but it's, but that's the way that I was when I was growing up, um, and that's the way the co- I, do, yeah. I do now, pretty
2: much.
0: And that's funny that you talk about, you know, oh, well, he's two years younger, and it's like, well, when you're a freshman in college at, like, at Syracuse, and there were seniors, they were older than you, and right. you were pretty much a rookie with Michael right. Jordan. So it's yeah, like, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know, right?
2: <laughs> that's true. That yeah. <laughs>
0: what? Where, where do you see sports going? You know, AAU. You know, you, there's a talk of a lot of things where you're like, oh, it's corrupt. There are issues there, you know, coaches taking money under the table, players jumping back and forth. Betting will be something that all of these young kids are going to grow up with that people will be betting on their games.
2: Yeah.
0: Where do you see, well, let's, let's say, where do you see betting going in, in, in terms of how they're going to grow up and how that will affect the game and where it may be with AAU now?
3: So to be honest, that's why I got into coaching. Uh, that's why I, I wasn't going to get into coaching or anything like that. But that's what kind of pushed me to kind of shield him away from that. Okay, because there was a lot of that coming in his direction, and a lot of that you know, coaches that wanted him to play for for them and wanted to you know a lot of different things. I was like, yeah, mm-mm. yeah. Let I me mean, let me just <laughs> let me just keep it right here. It was almost like if you see Rocky Five when when yeah. when when um you know Rocky was trying to keep. Tommy gun away from all the different stuff and he was right, like oh, no, no, right. where, all that's going to be you know that's that's kind of how I am to be honest with you because there is an ugly side to AAU. Mm-hmm. there is i mean and that's the part where you have to you can't necessarily shield you know young players from it but you have to prepare them to face it mm-hmm. and it could be enticing and you know people there there's there are a lot of teams that are like win at all costs
2: mm-hmm. and they don't
3: really care about the players And they just, you know, I saw that this, this past season, this past summer after the pandemic hit, because you saw all all of these different programs that were still pushing to try to play and try to have in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, for me, I was just like, you know, we're shutting it all down until Mm -hmm. everything gets straight with this coronavirus and other, we saw that and I'm not knocking anybody, but I, I saw a lot of programs that were still trying to push. And then. They were having t- kids test positive, and you know all, and then whenever a state, usually a red state, would open up, yeah. then you'd have a lot of tournament invites from that state. Mm. Whether it was Florida, or Texas, or Georgia, <laughs> and I was like, "No, we're not doing that." You know, yeah. <laughs> so I was just, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to have a good set of parents that all understood and were all on the same page, and you know, I didn't have any problems. But yeah, we didn't play at
0: all this season. Yeah. I I feel like AAU may change a little bit because I feel like the advent of academies is coming up. You know, there's Mount, Mount you got IMG Academy. Mm -hmm. I always used to think that was only like tennis. Now it's like basketball players are going to school, you know, on some satellite campus where they can play all day and then Mm -hmm. compete against other academies.
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, we used to have our big man camp down at IMG. So we would see how, how they did that with tennis. And the young tennis prodigies would be, you know, nine years old and they stay there all year and everything like yeah. that. But there also is a thing of getting burnt out because sometimes it's too much. You know what I mean? I yeah. think, you know, sometimes you need a break for something. Like, so my son plays soccer and basketball. Oh, know, wow, okay. And he loves both sports. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know, it's just different. When I grew up, everybody played two sports. Like half of our basketball team played football. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it, yeah. it it was more encouraged, but now, um, you know, people kinda want you specialized in one sport. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I know soccer has helped my son a lot. You yeah. know, just with footwork, footwork and mm-hmm. like that, and he can run all day and that I mean it's it's great for him. Yeah. But,
0: you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I I love the thought of my little ones becoming two sports stars and yeah. and playing whatever they want to. You know, giving them the freedom instead of locking them down and giving them a career before they're right. like six. Right, right. <laughs> and six. Then was like, hey, that was at six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you had Jamel Hill on your podcast. Uh, yeah. What what was that like? Um, and and just you know, I feel like your guests. You've always had great guests, but they. You know, Fly TV, it seems to be growing more and more and getting bigger guests and expanding what what you're talking about.
3: Definitely, you know, had the chance to sit down with Adam Silver, you know, we had Craig Hodges. It's been really great. But Jamel Hill's interview was really good because I hadn't heard her break down everything that happened at ESPN before this interview. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she just told me what happened. You know, it wasn't that she got fired. It wasn't that, but she just went through the whole process of, her and Michael Smith and his and hers and how that came about and the problems that, you know, happened after that. Then they went to um, PTI for a little while and, you know, the way everything went, it, it was, it was interesting. It's, it's one of those also, you know, the whole point of the show is to give people a chance to tell their story, mm-hmm. you know, and tell the, the misconceptions and say what really happened or, to clear up some different things about themselves that people, because you know, you know how rumors get, you know, you, you, once they start spreading, people start believing something like, wait, no, that's not true. Where did you hear that? And if they, (laughs) if they see it in print, you know, they, they accept it as true. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them, they're like anonymous sources or according to this and whoever you're according to could have gotten the story wrong and it just spreads. So, I was glad she was able to also clear up everything that happened because you even hear even now people are saying, "Well, that's why you got fired from ESPN." It's mm-hmm. like, no, oh, that's not what happened.
2: You know yeah. what I mean?
3: Like so.
0: And and you know, obviously, a big reason what of of all of the controversy ESPN started with her, you know, combative tweets and challenging the president of the United States, Donald Trump, which you have not just challenge Donald Trump, you have really been, if you see something that's egregiously wrong or something that you just don't agree with, you have been very vocal about that. What does that do for you? Uh, because I imagine it isn't just trying to educate people, but there's something that has to be therapeutic about it to be able to get out your voice, get out things that are you know, bothering you or, or things that you want to express that are within you uh, mentally.
3: Well, definitely but also you know i've kind of always had this interest you know when i was with the with the wizards i was a surrogate for um president obama
2: mm-hmm. you know
3: i was working with him before he was uh, president obama um back when he was you know community leader in chicago mm-hmm. um and the reason why i started it when he was first running i really disagreed with um his opponent his opponent i don't even know if people remember him but his name was alan keith mm-hmm. so that's when i started working with him so you know, a lot of times people will say, "Well, why, How are you? How are you for eight years at all of these big events with Obama?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, I was a surrogate." You know yeah. what I mean? So it was, I would get invited to those events because I would also go campaigning with them, and I would, you know, do speeches and stuff like that. And I went on this, this fifty-state tour thing with Howard Dean, and I, you know, I was actually working with them. Yeah. So you know, so that's something that's always been a a um, you know passion of mine. But also, I was also willing to be critical. Of president obama as well i wasn't somebody that just applauded everything that he did because i didn't agree with everything that he did you know so then it just happened when it, when it when it changed and trouble was in office there was just quite a bit more that i disagreed with so so i was <laughs> vocalized very vocal about that as well um but yeah no that's just that's just something something that has always kind of been a part of me because i so even going back to high school Booker T washington Tulsa, oklahoma I was on the speech and debate team. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I debated, I went, you know, and I performed and stuff like that. So that was, it's kind of always, I I just played ball as well. So we were, so in in high school, you know, we were winning state championships in basketball. We were also winning state championships in speech and debate. Mm -hmm. So it it was just kind of what I did. I did both.
0: Yeah. And and the upcoming election uh, can change America or keep it more of the same. Yeah. Uh, do you have any plans for ramping up, getting out the message of voting or, you know, kind of uh, just amplifying what you think is is wrong with the country and things we should change?
3: Well, it's different now because everything is virtual. You know, so a lot of times when I when I was working with, uh, you know, when I was surrogate for President Obama, you know, I would speak at different rallies. I would mm-hmm. go to different places and do speeches. Now, since everything's virtual, it's a different type of campaign,
2: mm-hmm. you know?
3: So, it, it, you know, it kind of changes a little bit, but yeah, you know, if we're watching, a, a, like right now I'm flipping back between the NBA playoffs and the, and the Democratic convention, yeah. you know, every time I'm just flipping <laughs> back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, you, you see the seriousness of, of this time and this election. And then you also you see the obstacles, and you hear what everybody is is describing as obstacles for you to vote, and you know, in preparing everybody that that's what's going to happen, and it's going to come. And I think that's a great message to have because it is going to happen. You know, you see already with voter suppression, and you, we've seen it in the past, but now, especially in the in the face of a pandemic, you know, it, it just just be prepared. So yeah. you have to be prepared for different strategies. You know, for you to cast your vote, and that's that's just what's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, yeah. and the thing that's interesting about this is, we used to have these conversations in the locker room all the time, really about politics. Yeah, I, I knew he was going to respond like that because we would all the time we would talk about politics and you know different things and different topics. Gilbert would be in the middle of it, everything like that. Those and, and it's so that's why a couple years after that, when I would hear people say, you know, well, if you have different opinions. Is gonna divide the locker room. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, that's not. That's, we had different opinions on everything. Yeah. Like, and Gilbert sometimes Gilbert just likes to argue. To be honest, with you, you <laughs> know does, what I mean. He sometimes <laughs> he'll just take a different position just to start arguing. <laughs> but but yeah, we'll we'll because a lot of times he likes to play devil's advocate while he's also learning.
2: Yeah, that's yeah.
3: another tactic that he does. So he he he, he presents the other side but he's
0: also listening to your response mm-hmm. and then he's, you know, so he, that so we had conversations all the time about politics. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I, I guess I reacted that way, not in a like, Oh, I thought you only talked about sports. I mm. guess I feel like politics and religion are probably the two things that are like last on someone's list that you just like openly talk about with different people because everybody has such a different opinion about those two topics. They're like the two hot button topics. Right. But that's the thing, though, in locker rooms you're debating all topics.
3: Yeah, that's the whole point. When you're at the locker rooms, you're just arguing about different stuff, and yeah. then politics is just another one of the things that we argue about. Yeah. That's,
2: uh, that's what...
0: Earlier in the show, um, uh, I did my segment Haley's comments with Haley, and we talked about Tom Brennerman, which you also, you know, uh, put on Twitter about. Mm. You know, hey, you don't you don't make a mistake, and say yeah. that word like
1: yeah. Know, is,
0: it, is a cancel culture too quick? Should we allow for a second chance or an education of someone who's made a mistake? And I understand the president of the United States has probably gotten, you know, he's like, more three, four, five cats, because my man I know, right, right. lives?
3: I know, <laughs> how many more? <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, I, I definitely believe in second chances. It's just sometimes when you start seeing the the apologies, it just, they, you know, it, it's it, so like I said in a tweet with, with, with a guy, what is his name? I can't, Tom it, Brenneman. Tom Brenneman, right. So I said, I don't know him. I was like, I don't know him personally. I don't know his heart and anything like that. But if something is not in your vocabulary regularly, you're not going to slip up and say it when yeah. you're on air. You're mm-hmm. not, there's mm-hmm. certain words that are not in my vocabulary. So I'm not going to, now, if there are certain words that are in my vocabulary, Then I could slip up and say something and I forgot I'm on the mic or something like that because it's part of my regular conversation, my regular dialogue. And that's just what I saw with his particular incident. Mm -hmm. You know, he said it so casually. So, you know, like it was just regular. And then afterwards, the apology was, you know, I'm a man of faith. This is not in my heart. You know, anybody that knows me, I was like, okay, come on now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> just, you know, I, I don't know. And, I, and like I said, I'm not judging him. I don't know him. But I'm just looking at what happened and listening to his apology. I'm like, uh... I don't know about this. The
0: irony that he used the word pride in his apology to us. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he apologized first to the people that write his checks. Yeah. Not the people that he offended. Defended, right. Not the group that he targeted. right? <laughs> but the people that write. I'm like, come on now. Yeah. you know, <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, let's switch to a different sport, a sport you played. How much are you enjoying the NBA playoffs? And in the bubble, would you have gone to play in the bubble?
3: OK, so first of all, when everything happened and they were talking about opening up, I actually wrote an open letter to Adam Silver, um, you know, trying to convince him not to open back up sports. Mm-hmm. Um, my position, you know, has been that no sports should happen right now in this coronavirus pandemic.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and I'm still I still feel that way. I, I, the NBA bubble has been successful. Um, the NHL has have, have put together a plan, even though they moved to Canada, but yeah. they put together a plan that has been working. Yeah. Everybody else, I haven't seen a plan that is worthy of even trying. Mm-hmm. And college sports shouldn't even think about it. Like no. the outbreaks that they have. But also, I don't think that colleges and universities should be in person. I think they all should be virtual right now. Yeah. On the high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, that's, that's my, my position. And the reason why is not because I, I don't like sports, I love sports, you yeah. know, but it's just not safe. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, you know, when you hear the argument that, well, you know, young people aren't really dying from it or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, but look how many have tested positive And you don't know the long term effects on their respiratory system, their lungs, their hearts, anything like that. Yeah. It's a big question mark. Yeah. So you don't know if you're damaging these young people's athletic career for the rest of their lives. Yep. It's just irresponsible. But my bad. Back to your question. The NBA playoffs have been great. They have been great. They've been very, you know, exciting to watch. And the bubble, I didn't think that the bubble was going to be... I had questions about the presentation of it. Yeah. With no fans, and then the fake crowd noise. <laughs> and then at first, when they had the TV monitors, they were kind of weird. It was like the Hunger Games. You know what yeah. I mean? Like everybody was like, <laughs> I was like, this was a, a little weird. But then after you're yeah. watching it, they put together a good product, and you're you know, watching the intensity of the game, and the up and downs of the playing, and you know, like I love that Carmelo, Carmelo's playing well. At their, like, counting them out. And, yeah, and yeah. Trying to see if the Lakers are going to win. Now they're struggling because they're down 0-1. And you know, my, and my son's favorite player is Giannis. So, oh,
0: okay, okay.
3: Because that's how he's he's built. Like you know, my that's, wife's, I was going to say he
0: has a Giannis game.
3: No question. My okay. my wife is six feet. You know what I mean? So yeah, nine. And so he's tall and thin. That's the that's the game. He doesn't you know he doesn't want to do any jump hooks in the middle of the paint and stuff like that. With the, yeah, you know, back up and under. <laughs> that's not what he wants to do. He wants to come from the three point line and euro step and do all that other stuff. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, no. So he's rooting for Milwaukee. So we do a lot of watching and studying of Giannis, and he is Giannis is the truth. Like yeah. I, I know they're down, they're down right now. But you know, same way the Lakers are down right now. But it's, it's exciting to watch.
0: Yeah, it's really exciting. It, it is exciting. And I kind of wish that I was in the bubble. Like I would have enjoyed it just because it's such a unique experience. I know they're talking about they're probably going to be in the bubble next year, but you know, I feel like the bonding, it's almost like a bigger, bigger locker room. Like, <laughs> it's, like it's like an AAU tournament. Yeah, it <laughs> really is. That's what it is, it's like an <laughs> AAU tournament. When you see on, uh, on social media, when like Jamal Murray is looking at Spider Mitchell, not laughing at him, right. he just dropped 57, all like, ha ah, look at him over there. That's, that's how it is at AAU. You,
3: yeah. you, need, you
0: need the dude to just dropped 30 on you at the concession stand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And <laughs> try to get some snacks. <laughs> You're standing right next to him. <laughs> And, and for these owners, for the league, looking mm-hmm. for other ways to bring in income, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they're really starting to introduce betting mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to bet on Daily Fantasy, who's yeah. going to win the game, what player's going to do, what. Where do you, what, what. What are your thoughts on that? And I know it's not easy, but at the same time, it's been in like English Premier League for forever in yeah. Japan, China, you know, betting is a part of the culture how difficult is it for you to see that being a part of the game now? So let me take you back a little bit. Have you, do you remember
3: the movie, The Last Boy Scout? Yeah. Okay, I remember that movie? where It was like with Bruce Willis and Damon mm-hmm. Wayne's? And so they, they showed the side of betting that what can, the, the, the bad side, the downside of how betting can affect the actual sport. Mm-hmm. And that would be, that's always my first thought when betting is introduced into the conversation is the last Boy Scout and what it presented. And, you know, people who have a lot at stake at different, you know, different games, then trying to influence players one way or the other. And players getting in debts to one person or, you know, fixing games or, you know, that, that's just where my mind goes to. And I understand the part that, you know, Vegas, of course, has been doing it for a very long time. You know, and and you know, I understand. That, like you said, the, the English Premier League does it as well. But for me, that's what I think of. Yeah, and you know, I don't know how you regulate that. I don't know how you stop a a bookie from reaching out to a player and telling them, you know, just keep the point spread, you know, below seven. You can win, but just keep the point spread.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know how you how you regulate that. You so- know. I think that, well, one, if you want a more recent movie about it, watch Uncut Gems, whether you like Adam Sandler or not. Well, oh, I haven't seen it. I haven't right, seen it. Right, right. Yeah, so watch Uncut about Gems. with KG right. in it? and KG okay. in it, yeah. Okay. But it's one, it's a $40 billion industry or more. We're probably talking $60 billion by the time it's really up and running. Right. I think it comes down to BRI. If that basketball-related income includes it, Mm-hmm. and you as a player are getting some of that cut legally because it's in the CBA, then why take a chance with a bookie? No, I'm already getting money. I don't need to decide, oh, well, yeah, I'll help you shave some points. No, I'm already getting money from this. So I'm I'm good. Yeah, but you get more money from it.
3: You know what I mean? So I, I hear you with the thought of you already have money, but – they offer you that on top of what, you know, something else is going to be enticing to a lot of players.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I guess in my mind, I hope that's not the case, especially I mean, if.
3: Even, I mean, even with what we just experienced in the NBA with Tim Donahue and them, Tim Don- I just don't think that that's an area that the NBA, you know, should run into without being cautious because, you know, everybody, oh, when you hear conversations, they still already think that the NBA is fixed. Yeah. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like they still think that, you know, but.
0: Oh, they want to see LeBron versus Zion, You know what I mean? I
3: I just don't know if that's the the best area to go into. I understand from an economic standpoint, but some things, um, you know, supersede economics
2: Mm -hmm. and
3: that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we want to mess with the integrity of the game and that would be my fear. Um, that's, that's my fear.
0: Okay. I, I totally understand that. That's, that's interesting. Uh, what what else is next for you, Etan? I mean, I feel like you're, you know, well, heck, no one's career is over. So you're just continuing to grow and grow. Is there something else that you want to start focusing on next as things continue to flourish for you? Well,
3: I mean, you know, I keep writing. Um, we're starting off with, you know, I, I write for the Guardian. I write for the Undefeated. And um, I write for a new platform here called uh, basketballnews.com. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm always keep writing. Um, you know, there's a lot of in, in the media that I want to continue do. There's always a lot to talk about. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> you know, keep keep doing it. I do a lot of work um, in the activism sphere, you
2: know, with the
3: family members of victims of police brutality. So like mm-hmm. Eric Garner's daughter and Terrence Crutcher's sister, and you know the, um, Trayvon Martin's brother. And so that that kind of started when I interviewed them for my book. We matter. Athletes and activism, mm-hmm. and so in that book, I interviewed a lot of different athletes who have been using their platforms um, historically. Athletes that I grew up admiring, mm-hmm. like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson. You know, those are athletes I grew up kind of watching. And then mm-hmm. I wanted to interview current athletes, like you know, um, you know, Dwayne Wade and Eric Reed, who was kneeling with Kaepernick the whole time, and you know, mm-hmm. that uh, I wanted to interview all of them. And then I really wanted to push for like the younger athletes to be inspired by hearing them,
2: Mm -hmm. you know? So
3: Bradley Bill, like I interviewed both Bradley Bill and John Wall for this book and their interviews inspire so many people here in the DMV, Mm -hmm. you know, because they always point to their interviews of how they have the courage to speak up about different things. And, you know, they were marching in the rally and, you know, they were doing everything like that. So for that, I started working with, I, I, and in that book, I also interviewed family members of the victims of police brutality because I felt that the message was getting, you know, purposely misconstrued as to what everybody was protesting for. Mm-hmm. You know, I, was, I said, this is, the, this is the people who are directly affected, people who have lost their lives to um, police brutality. Mm-hmm. And so from that, I started doing a lot of work with them. And what they all have in common is pushing for laws to be changed. Mm-hmm. So they, they're not pushing for an organization to tweet out Black Lives Matter,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
3: even though that's cool, but that's not what they're pushing for. Not what, not what they're fighting
2: for, mm-hmm.
3: you know, and they're they they not fighting for defund the police. Right. No one wants to defund the police, per se. Well, what people also with defund the police, they, you know, defund doesn't mean abolish. Right. They're two, right. They're two different words. Yeah. And, you know, defunding the police are things that many police officers, even though they didn't call it defund the police, because I've done a lot of you know, a uh, workshop panels, police officers, it's 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 saying not have them have so much responsibility for things that they aren't trained to be able to do. Yes. Such as yes. if there's a, something happens with mental health, they have, they don't call the police for that. They call mm-hmm. mental health experts for that. Right. You know what I mean? Or even, you know, the in, in schools where you have, you know, security and everything like that, they don't have police in there. They have different people who are, are trained to be able to deal with young people in school. So it's more of giving them less responsibilities, mm-hmm. you know, and not having it. so then you don't have as much problems. So yeah. that's the, you know, it, a lot of times when you, you hear talking points and they shifted and it's like, no, nobody's saying abolish the police, then we right. just don't have police. That's a whole different word. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's two different completely things. But what all of them are pushing for, talking about the family members of the victims of police brutality, is that you know laws change to hold police officers accountable mm-hmm. that's what they want police reform mm-hmm. so if a police officer kills someone um and it is it is deemed unlawful the person wasn't a threat didn't have a gun anything like that they are held accountable mm-hmm. that's it and that's yeah. the system that we should have yeah
0: but right now that's not the system that we have and the body cam has greatly change that i mean social media phones have greatly enabled for a spotlight on negative things we see musai ujiri you know that body cam footage if that never came out you know it almost like it was a he said he said and you're listening to or or getting different people's accounts but no that body cam footage clearly shows that that officer pushed musai ujiri first and 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 so having that as a way to say no we see what happened. We see what happened with George Floyd versus, mm-hmm. you know, when you go all the way back to like a Emmett Till or anyone who has ever been wronged by police or non-police officers who were just, you know, doing something heinous to an African-American. That, mm-hmm. like, no, now we see exactly what is happening.
3: Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I interviewed Tabo Sefolosha in my book, uh, We Matter Athletes and Activism and with that case in particular and James Blake if you remember James Blake the tennis player Yeah, yeah. Him and, and and both of them in New York you know the police already had the had everything written up as to what happened with Tabo Cephalosha. Mm-hmm. you know they had they 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 listed him as the aggressor they said that he and anybody that knows Tabo Sepulosa, you know cuz I played with him in Oklahoma City his personality i mean he he's from another country he's the quietest little you know, you know he, he's a great, nice guy. But their description of him was like he was like the Terminator. Like, he came and just rushed all the police officers, and they had no choice but try to subdue him. And then the video came out. Yeah. And yeah. the video negated everything that they said in their report. That's why when people say, well, let's wait till the facts come out. I was yeah. like, well, you mean let's wait till the, for the police <laughs> to put together a story that, you know, justifies what they did. And that, yeah. But that's one of the things that's the issue. Because you even saw that with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. George Floyd, they ha- they wrote up that whole report. And you could go look at the report. And and they wrote up George Floyd was the aggressor, that he did this and that and everything else. And then later on, the, the video came out.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: then they were held accountable. Then they were, you know what I mean? But if that video wouldn't have came out, everybody was just gone by bare facts that they put out. Yep. Right? Yep. And yep. so that's the problem. When you have a... So going back to the uh, family members of the uh, victim of police brutality, like, you know, Tiffany Crutcher and Emerald Gardner and, you know, um, Chamberlain Martin's mom, Sabrina Fulton. What they're all pushing for with police accountability is like one of the main things is when there is a when there is a death, when there is a murder, right, Mm -hmm. that there is an outside entity that investigates the murder
2: Mm -hmm. not
3: or or the killing by the police. Mm-hmm. not the police do an internal investigation to right, come right. back and tell everybody else what they found. Yeah, That's just common sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, like I have three kids. If I left it up to them for them to investigate themselves and tell me, you know, what they did wrong, i would be like, no, that's not what's going to happen. Right. No, yeah. I wouldn't get anything. Yeah. So nobody would, would you, you can't, you can't have that type of, everything needs checks and balances. Mm-hmm. So when we're pushing for police reform, or pushing for police accountability, it's not being Mm -hmm. anti-police. The police are needed in order for a society to function, but they want the police to be able to have a system that makes sense and that you can have accountability because everybody has to be accountable. Mm -hmm. But right now, it's like they have a license to kill. Yeah. And so one of the problems is that it's so hard to convict a police officer once he is, you know, for a killing. If you look at the percentages, they're so minuscule because... What you have to do is this unbelievable. You know, all police officers have to say is, "I was in fear for my life."
2: Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, they don't have to give no
3: evidence. They don't have to give no, you know, anything like that. Just repeat that phrase, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. So that's the things that we're pushing for to try to get the, the laws to be changed. Not you can't really. I always quote Tiffany Crutcher, where I say, you know, she says that you can't legislate somebody's heart. You can't do that. It's like, but what can, you can do is change the laws so they can't act on their racism or their bias. Mm-hmm. That's Tiffany Crutcher, the, you know, sister yeah. of Terrence Crutcher. So she's always pushing for the laws to be changed. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that should
0: be the focus. Yeah. Wow. Ita, we could go on forever. Man, I, I love, I thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, Thank you. Congratulations yeah. to you. I saw the award. Yeah. You with yeah it. Thank oh, you. I'm like, Look at my man over there. <laughs> That's what's up. Good for you. <laughs> thank you, Eton. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. All right. You too. I want to thank Eton Thomas for coming on the show. I had a great time talking to him. And afterwards, we said, you know what, I think we're going to have a part two. So stay tuned for that. I hope you enjoyed Haley's comments. Thank you very much for listening and watching on the Props Network YouTube page. Please share it and leave a review. You can catch past pods and subscribe to future ones on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more. Ciao for now.